Welcome to Avis After Hours, a podcast focused on the intersection of innovation, finance, and community. I'm joined as always by my co-host, Jeff Lee. Excited to be here. And a special guest with over 20 years on the front lines of fighting cybercrime. Dr. Chris Pearson is the founder and CEO of Black Cloak, a cybersecurity firm focused on digital protection for high-level executives and high net worth individuals. His resume is incredibly long, so I'm gonna pull out my piece of paper for this one. Prior to founding Black Cloak, Dr. Pearson served on the Department of Homeland Security's Privacy Committee and Cybersecurity Subcommittee. He's also held leadership roles as the Chief Privacy Officer for the Royal Bank of Scotland, the world's third largest bank, Chief Information Security Officer for two fintech firms, and President of the Federal Bureau of Investigations, Arizona InfraGuard. He received his bachelor's and master's degree from Boston College and his law degree and PhD from the University of Iowa. Dr. Pearson, welcome to the podcast. Hey, thanks so much. I appreciate it. It's yeah. good to be here. This is timely because I was telling you earlier, at the beginning of every year, we do a lot of the kind of comprehensive reviews or audit, if you will, of our clients' financial situation. And one segment of that is risk. Yep. And traditionally, we mitigate risk by using insurance products. So life insurance, disability insurance, potentially long-term care, property and casualty. But we're seeing this coming of age as we're moving online, that there's a, a specific risk that we're now facing that people are, we'll call underinsured for, and that's cyber risk. Yeah. And so really excited to unpack what you've done at Black Cloak, what services you all are offering. But I think first we want to just dig into a little bit more about you, the education you've had and the roles that have led you to this point of founding Black Cloak. What's really interesting is I started actually coding in the in the mid seventies. Um, so I actually just kind of taught myself. You know, it's one of those things where I had computers at a very, very, very young early age. Nobody knew mm. what quite to make of it, and uh, you know, just enjoyed messing around coding. Um, later on, after college, it kind of turned into a hey, there's there's a lot more here in terms of understanding high technology, um, and of course, the internet, World Wide Web was just starting. Everyone was just starting to get like an AOL address and start experimenting here and there with things. But I can remember in, in elementary school being one of the first kids that was using uh, the phone as a modem, as a dial up and actually taking the phone receiver and plugging it in, getting connected into one scientific lab, one government agent, whatever it was. And, um, you know, that was really cool and exciting. And, and round about the late 90s, they started to see that some of the risks and threats that were out there from a physical perspective were made much more dangerous in ones and zeros, right? Much more dangerous in that digital world. And uh, around about, you know, 98 into 2000, I really, really just latched onto it even more. It's the knowledge of what was happening from a cybersecurity perspective, from a computer and internet perspective, mixed with different items in risk. Um, I was doing my law degree at the time, was extremely interesting. And in 2002, I got a chance and opportunity to stand up a cybersecurity practice uh, at a large national law firm, about 250 attorneys. And um, it's one of those things where it was a year before the first data breach laws ever came out. And the fundamental premise was this, is that at some point in time, the risks that everyone faces, whether it's a free speech risk, whether it's a Fourth Amendment risk, whether it's a criminal risk, whether it's some type of negligence or other type of tort or contracts, or whatever, that there was going to be this, this thread that was common that was running through it. And that was going to be Digital, the internet, high mm. technology, cyber. It just got to be extremely interesting. Um, you know, I had done some government instruction before then, uh, literally teaching some hacking courses, Wi-Fi hacking courses, a few other things. And so when the first big data breaches came out, uh, the Secret Service and the FBI, some of the first phone calls were to make. Wow. Uh, in terms of, yeah, it was actually really, <laughs> really cool. You know, and so we had 
you know, single digit, double digit million breaches, person breaches at that point in time. Now, back then, that was enormous. That was like, right. you know, stop the press. It was a, you know, just so enormous. Now it's a drop in the bucket. And when was that you're talking about with those big breaches that you initially got the calls on? Oh, so that that started literally in 2003. So okay. the first data breach law came into effect July 1st of 2003. It was California's law. It was called SB 1386. Gotcha. And what was cool is, is that the first major, major breach that we handed mm-hmm. uh, handled was uh, where, you know, it's just everyone's on a plane. FBI is on a plane. I'm on a plane. Forensic experts, are on a plane, everyone's on a plane. I think it was July 8th of that year. And it was, you know, we were gone for a week, literally running into the business, trying to help them figure out where the risk had come from. Was it internal? Was it external? Was it? And this one turned out to be an external hack. It was a pure extortion hack. And they literally had to burn everything down to the ground and rebuild it. It it shuttered that whole business, shuttered that whole Jeez. industry. It was a travel company. You were saying back in the 70s, you started coding. And how did all that begin with, was that kind of through your parents? And how did you get exposure to all that yeah. that led us to all these great things that, that you're going to touch on too? My mother was a, a teacher uh, and yeah. she t- uh, taught stenography and also typing. Oh. And so when the first computers uh, came out and they were being introduced into school systems, uh, they had a keyboard on them, right? It was all like one unit, uh, right. these, these uh, computers, super small screen, all one unit. And because they had a, the, the, you know, keyboard on it, it was, well, well who's going to do this? Well, of course, the typing teacher is going to do this. So I can remember one summer it was, you know, we had a little bit of everything at our house, a whole bunch of different, like some of them were TVs. You'd actually connect to a TV output huh. and have the computer. And then there would be a... Uh, uh, audio tape cassette recorder with an actual audio tape. And that's what would run and save the data that you were typing. Mm. And so literally I was in a, you know, I was a young kid and I was in a house uh, that was chock full of computers. Amazing. Which, yeah. Trying to figure out during the summer because teachers would prep for the school year. There were no books. There was no literature. There were no right. online guides. There was nothing. And so my mother had to kind of figure out what was going to be the course curriculum for this thing that was like, a typewriter with a monitor attached to it. And, and so, you know, she started taking wow. uh, some classes and reading books and all the rest on it, but everything was there. And, you know, there were multiple computers, so it wasn't enough for just her to use. So I was like, yeah, okay, I'll go ahead and experiment with this. And, and, uh, you know, I kind of, uh, just, uh, was, was, uh, really in love from there in terms of the technology aspect of things. Just always been at the forefront of technology because from those experiences, basically. Yeah, it was interesting is once you understand, um, you know, once you understand the interface, once you right. understand that language, so to speak, it's like right. um, speaking a foreign language, right. not great at speaking foreign languages. I'm much better at reading them. Maybe <laughs> why I did five, five years of Latin, um, you know, so much better in that regard. Um, and the computer interface and the commands you're able to do and programming and all the rest. Um, it was just something that spoke to me. And it was something that I was like, huh, you know, super interesting at first, you know, not much utility to them, mm-hmm. um, except for, you know, creating a, you know, a document, a, you know, sort of speak a word document, or maybe later on some, some finance or some charts, but, um, you know, it all served the basis for everything else that came after it. I think it's evident you're a lifelong learner, if you will. And so I'm, I'm actually curious because you have your bachelor's, your master's, your law degree and a PhD. How do those all tie together into your career and what you've built? So it's interesting is uh, a lot of times you think of, well, OK, you have to have that linear line, or at least I know my parents' generation, you have to have that linear line of what is your business, you know, what is your undergraduate degree in, mm-hmm. what is your master's in, it should all build off whatever and have a direct straight line to whatever you want to achieve. Maybe your, your undergrad is bio and then you take the MCAT and then you get a medical degree or 
you're a poli sci major and then you become a, you know, a law, uh, get a law degree and become a lawyer. And uh, I kind of found the path a little more circuitous. Um, I was very much interested, uh, uh, you know, an undergrad in political science and the political process, worked at the state capitol in Massachusetts for uh, uh, while I was there during during school uh, and found that really, really just informative. And, and uh, it was a great experience. Um, didn't necessarily want to go into it afterwards, but mm. uh, but it was a great experience. Um, but what I found was really kind of just a passion for um, really taking things apart and learning more about mm. them. And that's very much so what I did in terms of my master's degree. It was in higher education administration. So a lot about college students, how people learn, how people analyze, how people assess, and kind of the, <clears throat> the business structure around the organization. What I didn't realize would happen there is that I really, really fell in love with, so to speak, you know, business administration and financing and, and understanding how operationally things work, both from a theoretical perspective and organizational perspective, as well as that business management layer. And actually, during my PhD, took a fair number of uh, MBA courses because I just was absolutely fascinated with it. Like I didn't take negotiation in law school. I took mm -hmm. it over in the business school because that's where I just did business. that a couple of weeks ago. Yeah, it's it's <laughs> it's um. It's so funny. It's similar coursework, same similar yeah. coursework, similar material, but it has a whole different lens on things because it really is geared towards getting a deal done, right? As opposed to who can win, right? And there is, if one party feels like they're going to win, which is probably more towards the legal aspect of things, uh, you you know, you're really not there for a negotiation or mediation. Uh, you're you're just not there for something where there's a collective win-win. But yet on the business side, it's if you want to do partnerships, if you want to do alliances, if you want to grow something, you're going to need to go ahead and make sure everyone benefits. And it's in that everyone benefiting perspective that I really fell in love with a lot of uh, what the MBA uh, uh, school had to offer, um, really did. Yeah. What was the next step? And maybe there was some roles in between, you know, law degree and, and PhD. I know you touched on the law firm you worked at, yeah. touched a little bit on the Department of Homeland Security, but curious about your roles at uh, those different spots in terms of the jobs that uh, yeah jobs? just what your what your roles were yeah. and, and kind of i guess maybe the inflection points at each of those that led you to saying hey there is an opportunity here yeah. in you know protecting high profile execs and businesses yeah my passion really in terms of the love was high technology was cyber was computers was the internet all the rest um, and it always was something that was deeply a part of who I was. Um, when I was at the law firm, I was able to translate that into something that was, you know, uh, revenue producing, massively, massively passionate about, super special and well ahead of its time. Uh, right now, every mm -hmm. single law firm has some type of cyber data breach practice. Mm -hmm. But in 2002, nobody had ever heard of anything because there was nothing. We were definitely one of the first to build a practice in that area. Um, so I had that common thread of high technology going through everything, even with government work I was doing. Uh, Royal Bank of Scotland came calling after the law firm. They needed a chief privacy officer. Um, so I became the first chief privacy officer for the Royal Bank of Scotland's U.S. Uh, operations, heading up cyber and fraud and privacy and really building that, but making sure that it wasn't reactive. Um, it had to be proactive, had to be built around controls and about uh, um, you know, ensuring that the right cybersecurity controls were in there, the right policies were in there, the right technology and people were in there and kind of spread throughout the entire organization. In the U.S., it was the eighth largest bank globally. It was the third largest mm -hmm. bank. And it was great because I got to experience a lot of international uh, uh, business, a lot of international banking with RBS, spent a lot of time up in Edinburgh and in London uh, and all around the world and really enjoyed that experience. Cyber still was the main threat. Um, for me, it really came into who was trying to harm the bank. And so people would harm by trying to hack in. They'd harm 
by trying to steal information, identity theft. And that's where the privacy stuff right. came in. Right. Uh, they also, you know, was a strong partner on the anti-money laundering uh, side of things. They were also trying to, you know, pretend that they were someone else who they weren't to grab funds, place them, layer them and turn in illicit gains into whatever they wanted, watches, cars, homes, mansions, planes. <laughs> and so it was always interesting in terms of that hacker mindset. Some of the Black Cloak story actually, it starts there. It started at State okay. Street in uh, um, off State Street in Boston, um, one of the uh, U.S. facilities. Uh, we're having a board meeting. And I love telling the story. We're having a board meeting. And afterwards, uh, you know, the chairman wanted the presentation. It was all physical documents back then mm-hmm. in 2008. And, um, and I was like, yeah, happy to send you the document. Absolutely. And he gave me his AOL address um, to email it. And it was an interesting revelation because we were a physical target. The boardroom was being swept twice a day. There were up armored vehicles <clears throat> in the underground. There were armed guards there because of who was there as part of the board. Mm-hmm. And yet we, we understood the physical risks, but we don't understand the cyber risks. Mm. And it was a really interesting, you know, kind of flip that, you know, I, from my cleared and, and kind of uh, uh, cleared intelligence uh, background, knew that nobody cared whether or not you were in your personal life or whether you're in your work life. They just wanted to target you to target whatever you had. And that was really where one of the first lights flipped is that, look, uh, people are going to target you based off your position, no matter where you are. They don't care that it's your personal life or personal email. They're just going to target you. I kind of put it away a little bit and then became chief information security officer for two different companies. Moved down to Florida, um, uh, which is where many of us know each other from. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, two different organizations here. There was a chief information security officer for LSQ, which we then sold yep. in 20, 2015. And then ViewPost, uh, which is still yep. going strong. Great, great company uh, and great team there. Um, but once again, we had things that people wanted and I could protect as the chief information security officer, everything within those four walls of the building. But could I protect the board in their personal life? No. Could I protect the executives in their personal life? No. The work laptop, when it went home every single night, could I protect it and the network it was on? No, not really. Mm. Right. It was really, really difficult. And that's where I kind of had that revelation again of how do you go ahead and protect the executives, the board in their personal lives where they are really highly targeted um, and the defenses are so incredibly low that an adversary can absolutely penetrate them, right? Within the company, I have the budget, I have the means, I have the technology to solve it. I have the people to solve it. But if that document were to make its way from a corporate email address to a personal email address, Mm -hmm. which of course can happen all the time, if Right. The work laptop is on a right. network that the kids are on or gaming machines are on or all the rest or husbands or wives or spouses or kids, significant other, whatever are on. Does that create a, a risk that is too high so that I don't want to own it? And it did. I looked around for solutions and quite honestly, there were none. Now, I've spent about, you know, it's public, spent about 10 years uh, publicly disclosing the intelligence community as a special government employee for Department of Homeland Security, working on cybersecurity, privacy, lots of fun stuff, offensive stuff, defensive stuff, all sorts of different programs. And I know that once again, you know, if you want to target a corporation, if you want to target a defense industrial base company, if you want to target our military or secrets and stuff like that, you don't have to stop at the at the the business door, so to speak, at the state or federal doors. You can go into the personal life. A 2016 election, put that on you know, front pages for everyone in terms of compromising personal email accounts, personal Gmail accounts for Mm -hmm. people that were in politics. But it's been happening Mm -hmm. for decades. And it was really the mix of that, that I was like, there's something here. And I went out and tested it. 
I got on the road for a year and met with 72 different folks, high net worth, sports star, rock star, politicians, yeah. investors, prior investors in companies I've worked at, prior bankers, yep. and um, protected them for a year using about 60 different regular off-the-shelf <clears throat> commercial, not consumer, commercial-grade technologies. And a lot of my presumptions of what would work were totally incorrect. Um, you can't put corporate controls in that in that house. And so that's really where the ideas for Black Cloak came from and kind of that journey and that path there. Yeah. Okay. And I think that's a fantastic segue. So we'll start getting into Black Cloak and some of the risks that people might face. Let's start with the Black Cloak name. What's the meaning behind that? <laughs> I think we can probably assume what it might mean, but love I've had a lot of you. people comment. It's a very cool name. It is a cool name. It is a very cool name. The, yeah. All yeah. the like literature you guys have, <laughs> right. the decks are slick. I love it. Yeah. Yeah. You know, you know what's funny is um, so uh we do all the uh kind of all the brainstorming for different uh logos, trademarks, all the rest we actually do on drawing pads, uh professional drawing pads hmm. uh in pencil, just you know, ideation. And uh, I actually have the original one of all the ideations for the name. Uh, it literally fits on one large canvas. And uh, really it came from, what do we want? What do we want to signal? We want to signal you know, kind of prestige. We want to signal power. We want to signal kind of excellence. We want to signal also though, some type of stealthiness. We mm -hmm. want to signal right some type of like hidden uh, aspect of it. But it's definitely on that power and and even, um, you know, in terms of that, like higher level, it's like, you know, American Express black card, mm -hmm. um, right. you know, any of those black programs, um, kind of the the royalty and realness of that. Uh, at the end of the day, Black Cloak is a luxury brand. Um, it's something that is, you know, above the rest. And so that's really where the black came from. The cloak came from something that was interesting is that it is impossible to remove yourself from every single form of digital media, remove all trails. It's just, you're never going to get to 0%. It is absolutely impossible. And so what you really need to do is think about how do you actually hide in plain sight? How do you make it so you're a harder target? How do you actually cloak what you are doing? How do you change how people perceive who you are, what you are? How do you change the lens so that you're there, but nobody can find you? Or you're there, but you're a harder target to hit? Or you're there, and maybe you're really not there. Maybe it's fake. Maybe it's fake information because uh, we do a lot of that as well. Mm. And so that's really where the cloak came in. And then you mash them together and you get black cloak. All one word. Oh, bringing it cool. together. I love it. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's one of those. Uh, you know, the unfortunate thing is <laughs> yeah, a lot of our, especially being down here in Florida, a lot of our stuff, a lot of our gear, T-shirts, our swag, all the rest. Yeah. It's black. Yeah. So it's like, you know, we just die under it. But I mean, it's one of those things where, it really does, you know, when you know what we're trying to do and you right. understand it and you rock it, it's like, yeah, that totally it fits. fits. I Absolutely. need to be at your next whiteboarding session. It sounds, <laughs> this it is, came that's out a, perfectly. That's his favorite thing to do. So <laughs> You kind of touched on it previously a little bit about you, because one of the things we talk about is kind of how you built this company and you didn't say what's missing in the environment. You did it through just hard work through previous roles. You started seeing this market gap time and time again. Yeah. And then you finally launched the company. So I kind of want to hear about that. And you obviously finally made the decision to take that risk and run with Black Cloak. Kind of what's the story there? Yeah, it was, it was it was really interesting is, you know, there were different points in time when I was more in the government sector where I was like, huh, you know, it's really easy to kind of defeat these home products. Um, and, you know, so started making some small notations. Um, then during my time at the law firm, when we had different executives being targeted, I was like, huh, interesting, file that away. 
um, at RBS. It was, uh, you know, why don't people understand that if you want to go ahead and penetrate the bank, it's like even at a simple level, you know, if you want to rob a bank, I guess you could just strong arm rob a bank or you could go to the manager's home the night before, I guess, and kidnap them and hold the family hostage and have them bring the money out. Right. I think like there are no rules there. And so I started seeing that as a as a pattern that emerged. And then the same thing when I was a CISO is how do you actually protect them? So you protect the 24 hours in the day. And every single thing that I kept on pulling back, you know, as a note in a point in time, kept on saying there is a massive problem out there. There is something that needs to be solved. I have no idea how we're going to completely solve it. And so I'm literally going to was a. I separated from my previous engagement in actually December of uh, 2017. So we're actually literally coming up on, uh, uh, you know, five years, uh, yeah. five years now. And um, it was one of those things where I literally said, you know, in order to actually do this, I'm going to go ahead and need to experiment. I'm literally going to need to just travel around to some of the highest profile CEOs, CFOs that I know, um, different folks all across the country and really experiment and kind of just suck it all in. I had some, oh, I had some, I had a lot of preconceived notions as to what I thought would work, what I thought would be a solution base and what I thought that mix should and could and would be. But it actually turns out that, I mean, the main tenants are there, but how we actually go about it is vastly different because we really did need to get into the personal lives of those individuals we were protecting in order to be there. I literally spent six to eight hours in their homes with them. I met their husbands, their wives. I met their home help for some people. Like, you know, celebrities have very different homes than than we might have, <laughs> right. right? They have a continuous, you know, executive yeah. assistant, chief of staff. Yeah. They're living with them, in with them, interacting. They have a separate entry. I mean, all sorts of things. I really needed to understand um, how the individuals live, what their digital personas were like, what their footprint mm-hmm. was like. And really understand what they wanted, um, and uh, then literally it was uh, literally you know kind of uh, you know burn burn the ships so to speak in terms of you know that December right. of uh, 2017 was a hey here's the demarcation line we're doing this we are going to solve it and set off on that journey. It took about probably about ten months. I think our you know first uh, first clients were in October uh, October November of of 2018. And then from there, it was just massively off into the races. I mean, it went really fast. You know, most people don't understand all the risks that are out there. Can you touch on some of those real quick? Well, I saw also, I saw a stat from your, from your deck, 39% of corporate execs are already compromised. Right. The second they come in to work with you all, which is a staggering number. Yeah, let's actually unpack that. It's, it's, it's uh, phenomenally interesting. Um, So, you know, we protect corporate executives in their personal lives. Mm-hmm. The company already has things under control. Right. We don't touch the company. We don't touch company devices, all the rest. We protect them in their <clears> personal <throat> lives the other 12 hours a day. We also protect, you know, high net worth, ultra high net worth, sports star, rock star, politician, hopefully more, more celebrities, less politicians, you know, <laughs> yeah, right. but, uh, but we protect, we protect those individuals. Well, same platform, same tooling. And that stat comes from all of our clients, all of our members. So it's unique to us. And that 39% is scary. It means four out of 10 people that we, we actually onboard are compromised. And, and breaking that down, 20% of the folks that we actually work with, their homes are wide open. We're actually literally able to, right, digitally get into their entire home network, every file they have, every computer they have, every picture memory they have. And we usually get in through a smart home control system like a you know, a misconfigured uh, Crestron or Savant or Control 4 or Lutron system, some type of smart home technology. Nothing wrong with the technology. Technology is phenomenal. It's how it was implemented and installed. Mm-hmm. The installers right. have default passwords, no passwords, wrong port forwarding. 
they've done something in there to go ahead and and not secure it. They're not security professionals, they're IT folks. And so we get in through that. We'll get in through camera systems um, mm-hmm. that are installed. Once again, great camera systems installed incorrectly. And a lot of times in through IoT devices that are right just not properly installed. Um, sets at 20%. And what that means is literally a cyber criminal could own every single thing that you have. The other part of that statistic is 27%. 27% have malware on at least one computer in the home. Active malware. 20 plus really? 27 is 39 because some people out that have both. Um, and so it's super scary because unlike unlike the physical world you know we open up by talking about insurance and different ways to mitigate risk you know i don't know your your uh, your bmw is in the front driveway uh when when you uh when you go to bed at night in the morning you wake up it's not there it kind of sucks so you call your insurance company call the police all arrest okay you know give me you know 60 80 90 thousand dollars for a new bmw fine global supply chain issues aside you get a new <laughs> you get a new bmw the next week i don't yeah, know i don't right. know if that's practical anymore but you get a new one the next week. You you, ha- you had something, you lost it, you get something mm-hmm. back, you're good. Not so much on the digital side, right? When you lose all the pictures of you with your kids and playing and then running around naked in the house or in the bathtub or, you know, doing whatever your know, families are doing. Mm-hmm. When you lose, uh, right, personal, precious family moments, weddings, anniversaries, private texts, whatever, all the rest of that. When you lose access to trust and estate document, IRS information, family planning, corporate information. That's never coming back because it's digital. You may still have it. Now every bad guy has it and they're mm-hmm. going to extort you for it. Um, sometimes expose it to family members. Um, we have some of that going on with trust and estates right now. So wow. not everyone's getting everything. Rip up a great, happy home. Um, but um, you know, when you expose all, when you grab that and you expose it all, you still may have that possession. It's a digital possession. Maybe they're not. Maybe they encrypted it. Maybe it's ransom. But no matter what, it doesn't matter if you have it. What matters is that it, it can exist in multiple places at the same time. And it's precious to you. It's important to you. Email is one of the biggest things there. But um, yeah, that 39% just is, unfortunately, is crushing. The cool thing is this, is that we immediately move into incident response mode. So immediately the firefighter is there with the fire extinguishers, take care of everything, stop the harm, try to figure out what has happened, um, and go ahead and make sure that you can right now rest easy, have more peace of mind, knowing that your your infrastructure, your devices, your accounts, your precious items are actually protected. I've seen you use the word active defense. I believe mm. I heard you say that before. Yeah. So what are some of those measures and then maybe some examples of things you've seen? Obviously, a lot of it's incredibly confidential, but things you've seen, yeah. uh, I think illustrations can help people picture the risks that they face. And I know the risks that Jeff and I face are different from a, a high profile exec, but um, I'd love to hear some yeah. of the stories. So, I mean, there's, of course, offense, which is played every day by the NSA, by different agencies, Department of Defense and all the rest, where you actually go and you take that someone down. Um, there's defense, which is just, you know, kind of making sure that you have the proper controls in place so that when somebody attacks, you're there and you can kind of repel them, so to speak, or get alerts to it. Active defense is where you actually take back, you know, it's kind of like uh, Kind of uh, the old saying, uh, um, I think it was like L3 uh, uh, that did it is uh, with the Apache is own the night, right? You want to take back the night because of its night vision system, being able to see in the dark. Mm-hmm. It's the same thing that Black Cloak does. Let's take back your privacy. Let's take back your identity. Let's take things back. And so instead of waiting for people to always come to you, let's actually remove all your data broker information out there. So data brokers are about 170 in the US, totally legal mm. business, but it has your name address, phone number, personal email address, personal phone numbers, IP address, all that information about you and your family. 
Let's remove it all. Let's take back your identity there. Let's go to the deep web, dark web. Let's actually find out what passwords you actually have that the cyber criminals are actually trading, using, and looking at and what information is there. And let's actually give that back to you so it's powerful information for you and make an active change in it. Um, that's really on the privacy side. A little bit of it is right. also right different settings of making sure you're not leaking as much information. On cybersecurity side, um, the active defense really comes in a lot with making sure that we are able to spot any signs of malware before it actually has impact on your computer, on your device. Some of that is by knowing whether or not your home is safe and secure because we literally try to break into your home once a week. We do a penetration test, our team, on your home once a week. We try to break into your home. That's active defense. Mm -hmm. If we can get in, we got a problem, we're going to fix it. If we can't get in, you're safe, you're secure, your family's safe and secure. We actually do a little bit of, we don't talk much about it, but we do a little bit of deception. So fake documents, fake files, mm. fake computers, fake things that are are set up in and around you. I'm going to test my terminology. Is that a honeypot? Is that what those are? Yeah, so sometimes, <laughs> so yeah, uh, yeah, you you're absolutely, you're absolutely I some, right. I did some um, research for this. <laughs> yeah, some of that, some of that is honeypot technology where it's actually, uh, you know, it's just like what it sounds is you, you put out something and you hope to attract uh, individuals uh, to that and stories. My gosh. Um, you know, I'll, I'll think of one in maybe maybe kind of each category. Pri yeah. Privacy. So we'll talk about privacy for a second. We actually had a <laughs> very large wealth management firm that we actually uh, uh, brought on board. The whole executive team actually worked with them. And, um, you know, when we did the deep web, dark web, we found the executive team's uh, passwords that were actually their live passwords for the entire right system that they were a part of. Um, they didn't have dual factor. This is early on in, in Black Cloak's uh, history. It was about three years ago. They didn't have dual factor turned on. We had their active username and active passwords for the wealth management platform. Mm. It's one of those things where, wow, that became a you know a, a, yeah. <laughs> a really earth shattering moment of, okay, let's run and change these immediately. Right. Um, a data broker uh, removal, um, you know, that happens all the time in terms of people getting physical threats, uh, people getting physical threats because now somebody knows actually where they are, where they live. And right, the home is bought in the trust and estate name, a different, right, like, a you know, AJBJ, you know, three LLC, something that's totally random. But, you know, inevitably it leaks. Usually sometimes if they're at the real estate or the escrow agent, somewhere in that yeah. chain. Um, it leaks who actually is at that home. And now that home and the, the privacy that the individual should be afforded is, is kind of exposed. Um, we talked about home, smart homes. Uh, we had one individual uh, uh, chief investment officer for a major uh, hedge fund. Uh, they have a, a Bloomberg uh, trading desk. So mm -hmm. right. you know, six monitors at right. home because always working, right? Always <laughs> working. And, um, you know, cameras set up because of a lot of home help, uh, you know, a little bit of kidnapping ransom risk on the family, cameras on the outside, cameras on the inside. Um, one camera in that Bloomberg terminal room for, for security purposes, make sure nobody goes in there and messes with things. The only problem is the network was 100% exposed. So literally we had logins all over the world, taking a look at the screen on which trades were being made. Oh my and, gosh. Yeah. Unbelievable. Which is a bigger risk, much, right. much, 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 much bigger risk uh, uh, for many people. Wow. Yeah. That's fascinating. I tell them what you did with your... <laughs> <laughs> all those stories are so compelling and I don't have any... <laughs> Well, I don't think I have any big risk, but I was telling my wife about some of this last night and yeah. we have a Google home that we don't really utilize hardly at all. And rather than take the appropriate steps to protect it, dual authentication, all that kind of stuff, we decided to throw it away and we just threw it in the trash can last night. 
we didn't need it. <laughs> yeah. So the stories are working. They're driving us into action. Maybe not the kind of action you want, but. And we always say embrace the technology. Make sure right. make sure you bring technology into your home mm-hmm. that makes you happy. Um, if it's the internet connected, uh, you know, watering sprinkler system, the video camera, the ring doorbell, the thermostats, all the rest of the watering system, pool stuff. Um, if it's the internet connected crock pot, um, go ahead and bring that into your life. Bring it in. Just right, make sure it's being updated. Make sure it has a unique password to it. Make sure it has dual factor authentication on right. it. I love all those gadgets, all those gizmos. I have a ton of them. <laughs> do it in a secure, eyes wide open format. And if you do it in that fashion, you'll find that it actually can be creative. It can actually, you know, really accentuate your life and bring you joy and happiness. Yeah, you know, when the kids got home. Yep, you know, you're able to go ahead and turn the, I don't know, the pot right. roast and up on, uh, right. you know, up down to low and not burn it or something. I mean, you know, make sure. Make sure that there, it creates things that you really love and enjoy. I think my biggest takeaway is that there's internet connected crockpots. I had no clue. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I had absolutely no clue, oh, yeah. but pretty yeah, soon I give myself one. It makes complete right? sense. Yeah. Yeah. You're going to have the refrigerator and all that kind of stuff. They, I mean, they have, you know, all, all of those things are, I mean, Tesla's, right? They get the software download every single night from, from your internet connection. Um, you know, that, that could cause real problems if mm-hmm. there's, right, some, some issue there. So, I mean, it's one of those things where, yeah, use it, embrace it, love it. Figure out how it works for you, if it works for you, where it works for you. Right. But embrace <clears> the technology. <throat> love the technology. Make sure it's creative. Um, you know, really, really make sure it's creative to your life. Why Orlando? Why Central Florida to start a a tech driven firm? I think the Bay Area, Palo Alto, Silicon yeah. Valley is where people traditionally would think you would start right. this. But why Central Florida? Um, but there really was a lot to offer in terms of engineering. Like I said, a lot of defense and companies, uh, defense uh, companies here. Uh, and so a lot of smart, both physical engineering, mechanical, electrical, et cetera, engineering, space tech, obviously. Uh, and there's a good cyber community actually here. Tampa's got a little bit. Orlando has a, a little Miami smidge as well. Um, when I actually made the uh, decision to start Black Cloak in, in late 2017, it was one of those things where literally we were redrawing maps and trying to figure out where should we be for this. And uh, it was really Washington, D.C., Virginia, Maryland, uh, you know, up in Maryland, you know, right. across from the NSA or down in Virginia or in D.C. I was really more of a natural fit for what we wanted to do in terms mm-hmm. of those cyber protection for companies. Um, California entered the fray a little bit, but I mean, so, so costly, uh, both in terms of talent, resources, as well as uh, space. But um, I started Black Cloak as 100 percent remote work company. From day one, we were never going to have an office. Um, I wanted us to be 100% remote, not waste any money on that. And I felt pretty passionate that we could still build with the right other executives and leaders on my team, that we could build a you know great culture um, and really build a team and an environment that was mission-driven, fully enveloped the vision, and really you know would, would follow um, those values and tenets that we all held and can push down and push out. And so once I came to that realization that we didn't actually need a physical location, it became much easier in terms Mm -hmm. of Orlando has a good talent base. Orlando has a great education base. UCF has a lot in terms of uh, computer science and engineering. Um, And quite honestly, in terms of easy access, uh, you know, direct flights, you know, everyone has a direct flight to Disney. Everyone does. And so it became really, really important early on for me also to leverage that um, as I traveled uh, throughout the U.S. that first year. Mm-hmm. And as I was doing that, you know, was taking a look at other places, was really thinking long and hard about like Washington, Maryland, Virginia, that that kind of beltway area. 
Um, but it just came back to where's the family happiest? Um, where do we have access to great talent? Uh, where do we have access to a great support system? Um, so a lot of phenomenal uh, accountants, attorneys, and others in this area. Uh, a lot of great business success here in Orlando. Um, and so it really became uh, nice to be part of the tech community here that's growing each and every day. Um, and COVID only brought that home even right, more. Right. So, yeah. I mean, COVID was kind of the, uh, um, <laughs> you know, COVID was kind of the, you know, wow, you know, you really did analyze that because it was not, a, you know, I make it sound easy in a, in a three minute uh, overview. Um, this was a this was a process that probably started in August of 2017 and maybe didn't finish or conclude at least mentally in terms of that exercise until midway through 2019, so to speak. So, I mean, talking about a year of actually like really logistically planning, where does the company need to be to succeed? One thing we always try and ask is what's your why? I think you've done a pretty incredible job of articulating that and how you're able to combine what you're passionate with, with Black Cloak and way to provide value there. What so what kind of advice would you give to other people that are trying to figure that out themselves? Yeah, it's, it's like a Simon Sinek's book, you know, start with why exactly. it really, I mean, it really does come down to that is figure out, you know, don't figure out what you want to do, figure out that why, why is going to be more compelling to everyone. It's going to be more compelling to the, to the executive team, to the folks that are part of the, part of the Black Cloak uh, community, uh, to the employees, to the board, to our investors. Um, that why has to be there. It has to be real. It has to be known. Um, and it has to be bought into by everyone. Um, and that's really, really important is make sure that you know why you're doing it, you know, how you're doing it, what you're doing and all the rest and be able to ex adequately explain it and make sure you find the right fit with everyone, uh, that is part of that, that greater, uh, that greater center, uh, that you have around you. Um, for us, you know, it's really, really important to live that each and every day, each and every week. And to actually support it through and through in the organization, you know, our values are baked into everything we do. It's baked into, you know, our kudos channel on our, our Slack instance. It's baked into how we go ahead and reward uh, our employees. It's based into how we hire and who we hire. Um, and it's baked into, you know, even, uh, you know, we just had a, a board meeting yesterday. Um, it's baked into the board members. Um, we handpicked the board members. Um, so that they actually fall in line with our values, our mission, and understand that and want to be part of that because that's really what we've built and is super important to us. Super important. How exactly does Black Cloak work when you go to sign up? Yeah, so Black Cloak works through partners, partners like you. And um, the best way to actually get on board it is, you know, there's a relationship with a private wealth manager, with a financial advisor, knowledge that the client wants Black Cloak services. And Black Cloak is a platform. So it's a mix of both technology, right, uh, uh, software, as well as people. And Black Cloak is basically divided up into four different component parts, privacy, devices, homes, and peace of mind. On the privacy side, our technology removes data broker information that's out there in public purview, name, address, phone number, email address, all the rest. So it really shrinks the attack surface. We also do some deep web, dark web research. So we'll grab in all your exposed passwords, tell them to you, and then we help you actually change them, fix them, do an encrypted password vault, do some privacy hardening on your phone to make sure that you're not leaking like GPS location and other information. Mm -hmm. And we also help with identity theft as well. So that's kind of the privacy component. Second component is device protection, the cybersecurity aspect. We literally, Black Cloak, the warn wedding app is on your cell phone, on your tablet, on your computer. 
It is monitoring those devices for malware. We can't see a single thing of what you do. Can't see any websites you go to. Can't see any searches you do. Nothing. We don't care. doesn't matter if you go to CNN.com or Google.com or some other. Right. Nothing. None of that matters. All that matters is, is malware running on your computer or trying to run on your computer? And so we're able to see that, spot that. Some of our deception technology is built into that. And some other things like botnet mm-hmm. protection, command and control protection, whole sorts of things there. But the real key is it's backed up by our 24-7, 365 Security Operations Center. Black Cloak employees, U.S.-based, sitting there watching, monitoring, and ready to respond. You don't have to figure out green check mark, red check mark. Do I allow the program? Don't I allow the problem? You don't see anything. We're literally there protecting your digital life. So that's the second component, cyber. Third component is the home. We literally do a penetration test, um, the, the, the digital penetration test. The, the physical equivalent would be somebody coming by your home once a day and uh, uh, you know, once a week and jiggling the doorknobs, lifting up the garage door. And if you get in, right. leaving a note and saying, hey, you know, do you need a lock repair? Can I connect you with someone? Can I help you fix it? Um, or, or you need to just lock it. Um, we literally do that on the digital aspect. So we try to, this is what large companies do. They do it once a year, a penetration test. We do it 52 times a year on your homes, every home, to make sure no one can digitally gain access to your home. It's the only way to actually make sure you're protected. And that fourth component is concierge, the peace of mind. We'll help you out if you have questions regarding phishing or smishing or text messages or phone call you get. Um, should you buy an HP printer or an Epson printer? Which one's more secure? Do you really want to get the Facebook camera thing and put it on your bedroom or whatever you have or you want? We're there for education, training, social media awareness, training, whatever it is. So privacy, devices, home, peace of mind, it's all delivered through the Black Cloak platform. Process is pretty easy. Go ahead and get registered in through partners. And then once you do that, our intelligence engine will start running all that privacy information and intelligence information schedule a meeting. At that meeting, we install the agent on each one of your devices. We go through some different settings with you. Um, and then we start the penetration test on your home. Then sometimes we have the, the IP address beforehand because we can see it 40% of the time out there on data broker sites. But sometimes we have it ahead of time. But we'll start that process. And throughout that first week, we're then checking back in with you three days later, giving you the results of your pen test. And everything gets delivered through our application. So you can literally see in real time Number of breaches you've had, passwords exposed, your data broker results, your home, is it green or red? Your computers, are they green or red? All through the app and your whole family can see that and you can see all those devices there all stitched together, reach out to us. We then are reaching out every single month with newsletter, education, webinars, materials. Every quarter, we actually do a a actual full reach out. Hey, do you want to jump on a call for 15 minutes, an hour, whatever? And you have full on-demand concierge access at any point in time that you want to where you can reach out, schedule. People love scheduling. We were talking about technology earlier. Mm-hmm. Um, we have full Zoom-based uh, scheduling, and people love that. They're like, ah, I don't want to talk now. I want to talk on Friday. I want to talk for 15 minutes right. at this appointed time. And they immediately have access to a special calendar by which they can schedule time with our concierge uh, uh, and cybersecurity and, and success teams. And we put the right person with you so you get your question answered. And we'll spend, cool thing is this, because it's an annual membership, we'll spend as much time with you as you want. So if you want to go over encrypted encrypted password vaults, we install those in month two. Sometimes it takes one hour. Sometimes it takes four hours. We're there with you. Mm. We'll take care of it with you. We're there to solve your cybersecurity and privacy questions and risks. So that's kind of how it works. And the great thing is we have relationships with advisors uh, in terms of, hey, you know, we have 50 people on the platform, 100 people on the platform. How are people doing right. any different things that you see at a high level? What can we do better on? 
oh, you know, we just met with one large investment bank and and they have a real, real need for um, fraud education, but it has to be at the same level as you would talk to your mom or dad about. Mm-hmm. They don't write, what they have right now is deeply, deeply technical. And that's the problem. They're missing the audience. Mm. And so we'll help them with that the same way we'll help uh, um, our, our different partners with as well. So really, really easy to get on board. Not a lot of time. We even... Um, we were going to offer a 15 minute quick, fast onboarding. So literally somebody can purchase us on the way to their, you yeah. know, Christmas, uh, you know, holiday, New Year's vacation and be onboarded from the time they get picked up at home to the time they deliver to the airport and get fully onboarded. Um, uh, really, really amazing stuff. Technology wise, just amplifying things. But at the end of the day, the person and the people relationship is where we really, really shine and, and what we absolutely love. We have a 98 point at a board meeting so i know the stat 98.6 percent uh, happiness at onboarding rate that means wow. right even if it took an hour to do it or an hour and a half right. or even if we delivered bad news 39 percent of the time because we are doing that in live real right. time delivering yeah. bad news um they are at that happy about it because they know that they're protected so that, that peace of mind and you're working with so many different situations i feel like you're constantly learning as well of what can be the best for each and every client. You know, we have some topologies of personas that we'll deal with in terms right. of like by technological sophistication, sometimes by age, sometimes whether a person's home, not home, you know, just right. their comfort level and all the rest. Um, but we actually really try to figure that out on that. And we, we all of our calls have at least two people on them. And so sometimes on calls, people will switch. Some people will swap um, based off of the personality because we don't know some of these people like, uh, um, I can remember a phone call with a, a you know a, a movie uh, director um, who got a lot of uh, massive amount of press. Uh, unfortunately, got a massive amount of cybercrime activity targeted mm. towards them. Um, but his wife, he's really concerned about, and they had a you know two year old child, I think, and you know another one on the way, so to speak. And and um, you know we're really really concerned, and that took a much much different team. I think there were four people involved in that phone call um, because people wanted something different, right? The, the director just wanted to make sure everything was taken care of and all the rest and, and that the ones and zeros were all buttoned down. Um, the spouse, you know, she wanted to make sure that the kids were being protected and that no one could right, try to target her there and, and all the rest. And so the, the difference is, I mean, they both wanted that peace of mind, but in very, very different ways. And it required massively different personalities. And we see, we also don't know when we onboard people, we don't know what we're going to find. Um, right. we, we don't know, we don't know what we're going to find how, you know, when we, when we get on, uh, we do know sometimes through partners, like what the situation might be, but, um, yeah, we even had, um, <laughs> we even had a, uh, chief information security officer for probably a fortune 500, probably even lower. I'll keep it at 500 cause that'll, right. that'll make me honest, down. <laughs> uh, company who, um, you know, the best of the best, mm-hmm. um, you know, phenomenal individual. Um, working really hard and right. um, wasn't able to pay attention to one aspect of their home and their their uh, home camera system was 100% vulnerable and got into their whole home through that. And it was one of those things that they preach that they know better of. It just it didn't have enough time to distance that we had no idea from a massive, massive industry uh, veteran that we had no idea that that was going to be the case that we'd be walking into a, wow, you know, this is really, really bad. Um, but um, you know, so we don't even know what, what's going to happen when we get on these. Yeah. 
Great. Yeah. Well, Dr. Pearson, really appreciate you being here. I've got some action items personally <laughs> at home to short things up, but I'm looking forward to talking to some clients about how you know Blackflow could be of service to them. And so, thank yeah. you both. I thank really do so appreciate much. it. Great to great to chat with both of you. Awesome. Yeah.